of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We don't save people. God saves people. So the way that this uh, passage teaches us this lesson is it pits the, uh, the wisdom and the power of men against the wisdom and power of God. So I'm just going to walk through uh, first what this teaches us about the wisdom of men then what it teaches us about the wisdom of God, and then I'm going to give a few really clear uh, application points for us and how that applies to us as we seek to be witnesses to the world. So first, let's talk about the wisdom of men. So uh, just setting the stage here a little bit, in the time of the Corinthian church, uh, they were really close to a place called Athens, and that is where all the great philosophers like Plato and Aristotle and all that, there's philosophers there that just love to talk about stuff. And, and they, they get giddy whenever someone else figures out something else to talk about. That's, that was what they made their, their game around in this area. And we're really a very similar kind of people here. It just looks a little bit different. For us, um, you look at like social media. Social media is an opportunity for all of us to uh, share what we think is worthy of being known, what we think is a message that should be heard. So we really, really care about the wisdom of men, right? We love to hear the next new thing. We love the next idea. So let's look at what Paul says about the wisdom of men in 1 Corinthians 1. First of all, the wisdom of man says the message of the cross is foolishness. The wisdom of man says the message of the cross is foolishness. 
Verse 18, the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. Verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly or foolishness to Gentiles. They don't, the, the world doesn't think the message of the cross makes any sense. It's not pleasing to their ears. There's a lot of people today that would even call themselves Christians and would reject the message of the cross. Um, I Just leading up to Easter, I saw a couple of articles. One of them was titled, one was written by someone who calls himself a Christian, and it was titled, quote, No One Had to Die for Our Sins. It was written by someone who claims to be a Christian. That's, that's crazy, right? Um, another quote from that article said, no one had to die for God to be merciful. It goes completely against the teaching of Jesus in the Gospels. I don't know what Gospels they're reading. Um, and just to, to, to let you guys know, that is why it's important for us to be in the Word, right? Because we read something like that from someone who seems really smart and they say, hey, that's not what Jesus talks about in the Gospels. If you read your Bible, you know that that is foolishness. But the, word, the wisdom of the world will say that the message of the cross is foolishness. They look at the message of the cross and they say, hey, your hope rests in a guy who died 2,000 years ago? Some guy that hung on a Roman cross? That's foolishness. The wisdom of the world says, no, we have a better message than that. We have a message that says, God just loves and accepts you exactly how you are and you don't, have to, you don't have to change. You can just live exactly how you want to live and God loves you and accepts you just like that. That's a better message, right? They say, forget the message of the cross. That's foolishness. I want to listen to the wisdom of men. The fact is, when you go out as a witness and you preach the saving death of Jesus Christ, the world will think you are nuts. If you preach the saving death of Jesus, the message of the cross, there, there's going to be a chorus of wise people behind you insisting that you're a fool. Insisting that you have no idea what you're talking about. The wisdom of man says the message of the cross is foolishness. Secondly, the wisdom of man is temporary at best. The wisdom of man is temporary at best. Verse 18 tells us the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Verse 19 says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. If you look on later on in chapter 2, it tells us the wisdom of this age and the wise of this age are, quote, doomed to pass away. They might be wise right now. Whatever they say might seem to make sense in your brain right now, but it is temporary. It will pass away. It will perish. This week we uh, sort of saw this on display in a really um, shocking uh, display of destruction. Um, we were robbed of one of our precious locations of Chick-fil-A this week. Um, it's pretty devastating. It, see, not too long ago, Chick-fil-A opened up a location on People Street, and it was brilliant. This place has this huge dining room. It's got this play place for your kids. It's even got some outside seating that you, that you can sit at, and it's got this kitchen that can just churn out 
Christian chicken. It's, it's amazing. And, and, and it, it makes so much chicken that everyone can eat. And it's got this, this double drive-through that goes around the, uh, around the building. And it, it, it's all set up so that more people can get chicken, more and more and more chicken. Well, if you had been there recently, though, you realize that what was once such a smart, intuitive idea now doesn't work all that well. If you go there at lunchtime, you'll see that this drive-through line not only wraps around the building, it goes out the parking lot, it goes down the hill, it goes down the road this way, it goes up the road this way, because everyone wants Christian chicken, and there's, there's no way for anyone to get around to Wendy's or to Barberitos or to Home Depot or anything. It's just a disaster. So what was once the cutting edge and what was once just the most efficient, amazing, uh, amazing wisdom of men in how you should make a restaurant, it, it was obsolete really, really quick. And me and some of the church staff were sitting at Barberitos the other day this week and looking across the road as that amazing building was just demolished. There's these machines just careening into it, and it's, it, it, it's all gone. Um, they're going to make another place where you can get Christian chicken, so don't, don't worry about that. But the point is, it didn't take long for the best of our ideas to become obsolete. We love hearing the next nugget of wisdom. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie to you. I didn't realize I said that until just now. That is written on my page, and I didn't make that connection. Wow. Boy, that was even better than I thought. All right. We love hearing the next nugget of wisdom. Great. But we love listening to the, uh, the next eloquent speaker, and we love even more for, to think that that is us, right? We love even more to think that we are the one with the wisdom, and that we are the one with the eloquence, and we are the one that deserves to be heard. Uh, we're always looking to the next great podcast or television show that will stimulate our minds, or we're looking to a TED Talk that will make us think that we're experts at everything, or we're uh, looking for breaking news and, and never-before-heard information. Um, we're always looking for that next nugget of wisdom. But ultimately, all of the wisdom of men, all of it is going to end up in the ash heap of history with our old restaurant designs and with last week's newspaper and with the old MP3 players that we used to listen to our podcasts on. All of it is going to pass away. The wisdom of men is temporary. They will put up a new structure at Chick-fil-A, but one day, as intuitive as it is now, it is going to get bulldozed. Um, when it comes to the gospel, it's really important to understand that. The, the world will try to feed you something other than the message of the cross, and they will try to convince you to share something other than the message of the cross. But whatever they are trying to feed you is temporary at best. It's not as good as the message of the cross, which is eternal. Point number three, the wisdom of man is ultimately foolish and powerless. So it's temporary at best, but it goes beyond that. Ultimately, the wisdom of man is foolish 
and it's powerless. Verse 20 says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In the wisdom of man, we're like first graders that are boasting in arithmetic in front of an astrophysicist, right? We, we're like, look at my philosophy paper, God. And God is like, look, I, I spoke the universe into existence, right? Where is your wisdom? It makes me think of the Titanic, the story of the Titanic, where its builders are like, no one can sink this ship. Nothing could sink it. God himself couldn't sink this ship. And then it scrapes some ice, and now it's at the bottom of the ocean, right? Where's your wisdom? It's foolishness. We're always thinking of ways to, uh, to live longer or to live more meaningful lives or more comfortable lives or uh, to, to make our lives better. But ultimately, it's foolishness. Why? Because it can't lead us to God. The wisdom of man is foolishness and powerless because it can't lead us to God. And it, we don't know God through the wisdom of man. Verse 21 says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The world did not know God through wisdom. As many brilliant minds as the world has to offer, as many amazingly intelligent people as there have been, not a single one of them has known God because of their own wisdom. Not a single one. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Divine Conquest, says, There is a kind of truth which can never be grasped by the intellect. For the intellect exists for the apprehension of ideas. And this truth consists not in ideas, but in life. The most brilliant intellect may be imbecilic or absolutely clueless when confronted with the mysteries of God. The most brilliant intellect is clueless when confronted with the mysteries of God. The wisdom of the world is foolish and it is powerless It has no ability to lead us to God, no ability to save. And ultimately, when we go out as witnesses, the wisdom of man has no power to save the people we are sharing with. The wisdom of man finds the message of the cross to be foolishness. It's temporary at best, and it's ultimately foolish and powerless. So what hope do we have, right? We're called to go out and be witnesses, right? So if the most brilliant minds in the world can't get to God with wisdom, like what hope do we have? Why do we go as witnesses to the world? How do we lead people to God if people can't know God through wisdom? Well, remember, you don't save people, but God saves people, right? You don't save people, But God does. For us to know God, we need the wisdom not of man, but we need the wisdom of God. We like to think that we can lead people to God and that we can help people know God from our own wisdom, but it is the wisdom of God that helps us know God. So what does the passage say about the wisdom of God? Number one, the wisdom of God is Christ crucified. This is a really, really important point. So if you pay attention to anything, listen to this. Verse 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews 
and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 30, because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. So the world will tell us that the cross of Christ is foolishness, but the God who created wisdom and logic and intelligence, that God, the God who created reason and understanding, that God has said, by what you think is foolishness, I have chosen to save the world. And that is Christ crucified, the cross of Jesus. In God's wisdom, he chose to become man, live a perfect life, and die a horrific death on the cross, bearing the weight of our sins for our salvation. That's the gospel. That's the message of the cross, right? God has chosen that. That is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of man says it's foolishness, but that is the wisdom of God. Do you want to lead people to God? Don't share what sounds good to them. Don't share what makes sense to their minds. Share the message of the cross because that is what brings salvation. That's the message we carry and never let that go. The wisdom of God is Christ crucified. Number two, where the wisdom of the world is powerless, the wisdom of God is power to save. Verse 18, to, the, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 21, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Verse 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So remember, the wisdom of God is Christ crucified, right? The gospel. So it is the gospel that has the power to save. It's not our ability to deliver it eloquently. It's not our ability to answer all of the questions that people have for us. It's the message of the gospel that we preach that has the power to save. Romans 1.16 says, despite the fact that the world thinks that this is absolute foolishness, Romans 1.16 says, I am unashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation. That is why we go forward unashamedly preaching the cross of Christ, even when the world thinks it's foolishness. When we take the gospel message out, we carry the power of God on our lips. Isn't that crazy? When we go to the world with the message of the gospel and preach Christ crucified, we have the power of God on our lips. And that has nothing to do with our ability to deliver a message eloquently or smartly or intelligently. That is all has all to do with the power of the gospel. And that gospel is powerful to save no matter who the, the person delivering the message is. That power is there whether it is a 75-year-old Bruce Colson who's preached his whole life preaching that gospel. That message is there if it is a 13-year-old Arwen Teal who was baptized last week. It's there if it is preached by an electrician or a landscaper or a medical doctor or an astrophysicist or a chemical engineer or anything. That message, no matter who is delivering it, has the power to save. The gospel is the power to save. Our deepest wisdom is powerless. We don't save people, but we carry a message that is the power of God for salvation. Number three, the wisdom of God is discerned by the Spirit of God, not our brains. 
The wisdom of God is discerned by the Spirit of God, not our brains. Verse 26, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. I love this part. He pretty much goes in on the Corinthian church and is like, look, you think you you need to be super intelligent? Just look inside your heads and there's not much there. Like, not many of you were wise in, in this worldly standards. And I, I, can, I really am encouraged by that. Um, Abby will tell you, if, uh, if the world's salvation was based on my senses, it would be a really, really sad place. So, like, last week is Easter Sunday. I'm a worship director. That's, like, the, the, the big Sunday that's like, oh, goodness, um, I, I gotta, I gotta be at the top of my game on Easter Sunday, right? That's, that's what's going on in my sinful mind. Um, so I get up and I go and get a bowl of cereal. And, um, so I pull out my bowl and I get my milk and I start to pour it in and I'm like, oh, I haven't, haven't poured my cereal yet. So I set my milk to the side. Then I go to the pantry and I get my cereal, cereal, I pour it and I open the fridge and I put my cereal in the fridge which is just ridiculous. So I, I, I catch myself though, so I go, I put it back in the pantry. And then I go and I, I pour my milk on the cereal. And so then I go to the pantry and I put the milk in the unrefrigerated pantry. And it, I'm just like, what are you thinking, Will? Like, I can't even pour a bowl of cereal correctly. Like, how am I supposed to be a witness to the world, right? So I, I can identify with the Corinthians. I'm really, really happy that not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. And then it goes on, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Guys, we don't know the wisdom of God because we had the intellectual horsepower to to take hold of it. We don't know God because we were wiser than everyone else. We know God because the Spirit of God illuminated the message of the gospel in our hearts. We don't know him because of us. We know him because of the Spirit of God showing him to us. If you look in chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Guys, we don't save people. God saves people. God saves people when the Holy Spirit illuminates the message of the cross in our hearts. A.W. Tozer helps us again here. When the Spirit illuminates the heart, then a part of the man sees which never saw before. A part of him knows which never knew before. And that with a kind of knowing that the most acute thinker cannot imitate. What Tozer is saying is that before the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we don't have the right category in our minds to understand the gospel. We're not even thinking on the same level of thinking there. Um, Later on in chapter 2, Paul says the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. What the Holy Spirit does is he comes in and the end of chapter 2 tells us he gives us the mind of Christ 
That's what it says. The Spirit has given you the mind of Christ so that now our faith doesn't rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Christ became to us wisdom from God. We now have the mind of Christ so that we can hear the gospel and it has power to save. Chapter 1, verse 30, because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. So, the wisdom of God is discerned by the Spirit of God, not our own brains. So, what do we do with all of this? Um, How does this apply to us as we go out as witnesses to the world? I want to give you four quick points of application on this. Number one, we should... Knowing this, we should repent from our intellectual idolatry. Repent from our intellectual idolatry. I have been really filled with conviction studying this text because I rely just way too much on my own wisdom and I don't rely nearly enough on the wisdom and the power of God to save in my ministry. Maybe you... uh, put a little too much weight on yourself whenever you think about sharing the gospel. Either you think that you can deliver a really eloquent message and people are going to be saved for it, or the opposite of that. Maybe you don't share the gospel because you don't think that you'll be able to share it right. Or maybe you think you won't know how to answer the questions that people have. Or maybe you just aren't aren't sure of yourself. Either way, either one of those, you have the same issue. You, you think that the salvation of people relies on you, that the salvation of people is dependent on your own wisdom and on your own eloquence and your own ability to speak or to persuade. But that's not how it works. You don't save people. It's God who has the power to save. We're called to take the message of the cross in obedience. And if the world calls us fools... If the world rejects it, then so be it. And if the world is saved by it, and if God calls people to himself, then glory to God because he's the one who saved them, not us. Either way, it is the power of God that saves. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We should repent of making people's faith rest in our wisdom and our power rather than in the wisdom of God. Number two, we should rejoice in the saving power of God in our lives. Look at the good news in this passage. Verse 18, those who are being saved Verse 21, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God to those who are called. Verse 26, consider your calling. 27 and 28, God chose what is weak, low, despised, things that are not. Verse 30, he became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Chapter 2, verse 5, our faith rests in the power of God. So we should rejoice that we are no longer those who are perishing, right? We are no longer the ones who reject the gospel as foolishness. We should rejoice in the good news that God has called us. God saved us. God chose us. God came for us. We should rejoice in that fact. 
We're no longer those who are perishing. We have a wisdom that is eternal because the Spirit of God has given us the mind of Christ. That is worthy of rejoicing. And not only that, but God continues to give that mind to people. God continues to save. He continues to illuminate the hearts of people. So as we go out as witnesses, we know that God is at work. We should rejoice at that. We saw a beautiful picture of that last week as we saw six people baptized right out here. One of those came from the other side of the world. He's a foreign exchange student in a place where he wouldn't hear the gospel at all. There's no gospel where he comes from. And God said, hmm, I want to save that guy. So he made it possible for him to come to the other side of the world, somehow be in the perfect spot to where he's going to hear the gospel message and the gospel has the power to save and the spirit illuminates it in his heart. And now he is a child of God, not because of the eloquence of whoever shared the gospel with him, but because God said, oh, you're in a spot you will never hear the gospel. Well, I want to save you anyway, so I'm going to get you to where you can be and it's going to be my power that is going to save you. That is worthy of rejoicing, guys. That is amazing. God saves people. And that is good news. Number three, we need to remain faithful to the message of the cross. Remain faithful to the message of the cross. What is the message that we share? It is Christ crucified. That is the power of God for salvation. Not something else. Not something else that we think of. That is the power of God. Christ crucified. The word of the cross is the power of God. We preach Christ crucified, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. When we are witnesses to the world, we have to recognize that the message we carry is the message of Christ crucified. We'll be tempted to adjust it. We will attempt to change it, to make it a little more world friendly, right? so that people might accept it a little bit easier. Don't do it. The word of the cross, the message of the cross, the gospel has the power to save, and we can't make a better message than that. We can't make a better message than the word of the cross. So don't try. We'll try to adjust it. We'll try to make it more world-friendly, but we can't. If we mess with the message of the cross, we empty empty it of its power. Because it is no longer the wisdom, wisdom of God then. It becomes the wisdom of men if we try to adjust the message of the cross. And the wisdom of men has no power to save. But the wisdom of God is power for salvation. Number four, rest in the power of the Spirit. We can rest as we go out as witnesses knowing that it's not our own power, it's not our own eloquence, it's not our own ability to persuade, but it is the power of the Spirit that saves. It's the power in the message of the Gospel. Chapter 2. I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. You can rest knowing that you don't have to be a great speaker or or great at argumentation. Verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Guys, that pretty much summarizes my life as a witness of God. Fear, trembling, weakness. That summarizes me. But thank God He is strong when we are weak. 
Verse 4, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. We can rest knowing that the Spirit of God walks with us and gives power to the message that we share. And verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Rest knowing that you don't save people. Rest knowing that God saves people. It is God who has the power of salvation and rest in that. My story with me and my best friend, it it hasn't gotten better, you know? My friend is still an atheist. I haven't convinced him. He is not saved. I, I I hurt from that. I weep about that. But I can rest knowing that I am walking forward in obedience and I am sharing the message and that God has the power to save. And it might be tomorrow. It might be 15 years from now. It might be at the end of his life. But no matter what, God has the power to save. And the message that I share with him is God's power for salvation. So, Over the next four weeks, we want to um, try to give you guys a little bit more practical understanding of how to do that, you know, how to go out and be a witness, to be an ambassador or an evangelist, and um, we, we want to equip you guys on a deeper level, but first, it's really, really important for us to um, to find this deep-rooted reliance on the Spirit of God as we go out as witnesses, because you don't save people, no matter how hard you try. It is God who saves people. Let's pray. Lord God, you are glorious. You are powerful. And you are gracious to save us. Lord, we could not come to you in our own wisdom, no matter how hard we tried. And you showed yourself to us. You gave us the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Lord, your word is power and you illuminate that with your spirit. And God, we are thankful and we rejoice. Lord, we long to carry that gospel on our lips to the world and to rely on you as we do it and not trust in ourselves. We pray that you would uh, that you would help us in that mission. It's in Jesus name I pray. Amen.